0: Life off the Pendulum is the course of study for this fall semester in adult Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. In this study, Rev. Dr. Jim Von Busch will expose and explain what life on the Pendulum looks like and the many struggles and heartaches we encounter because of it. He will also share what life off the Pendulum can be, a life that trusts and rests in the abundant grace of God. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so very much for your love and grace, love that is new and, and unconditional and full for us every day, for mercies that are tender, for grace that is superabundant. So, Fathers, we have gathered together in this moment. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and teacher and reveal to us who we are, but most importantly, who you are and what your word has for us. In Jesus' name, amen so life off the pendulum thought we could spend a few uh, you know i've been talking about what life on the pendulum looks like and trying to help us discover a little bit about how prevalent life on the pendulum really is how it is you know encompasses so much of life and how we see ourselves making decisions living life uh, adopting behaviors many things that we don't even necessarily think about or are intentional about but because of what we believe and the mindset that we have and the heart set that we live by it just becomes natural for us to live on these pendulums and, and therefore therefore even becomes hard for us to recognize them and that's what we've been trying to do in these first couple of weeks is just simply recognize what this whole idea of life on the pendulum versus life off the pendulum looks like and what it can be and the freedom that Christ offers us so like with law and gospel law identifies our sin and points us to the gospel and points us to the need for a savior and we're doing the same kind of thing with regards to the pendulum recognizing how the scripture is pointing out to us how we live what we believe the behaviors that we practice over and over again because of life on the pendulum and what we've adopted there and, and, uh, and then also what Christ offers to us like I said in Freedom. He says, Christ set us free for freedom's sake. So what can that look like? So let's spend a few minutes this morning looking at some various pendulums and specifically then some pendulum swings in the scriptures. Actually, as you read your, your, whole, your scriptures, if you're reading throughout the week and pra- have a practice of daily Bible reading, I think what you'll find is, especially after we go through a few examples today, how frequent the pendulum shows up in in the holy scriptures so i just want to give you some perspective on that here this morning we'll start by looking in deuteronomy chapter one and what's happening in this chapter of deuteronomy chapter one moses is giving a summary of all that has transpired from the time they left egypt and god led them through the wilderness mount sinai got to the promised land and then what took place there. And so he's giving this recap of where they've been and the experiences they've had and how God has led them the whole way. And that's what I want to look at with you all for a few moments uh, here is Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. So Moses is speaking and he says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. So that's the first thing he's pointing out, is we did what God said to do. We trusted him. We followed the lead of the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And then we have now reached this point. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of our fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Moses is saying, this is what has happened. We got to this point. We got to the promised land. Now the Amorites were living there, but remember, this is what God said he would do. And he was going to give you this land. And so follow, continue to trust, And he will give it to you. In fact, he already understands the fear and dismay, anxiety that people might be experiencing. Moses even says, we went through that whole terrible wilderness to reach this point. But God has been faithful throughout it all. And he will continue to be faithful. So trust him and let's enter the promised land that God is giving you. So we're going to fill in some blanks there. The Lord commanded journey through the wilderness to the promised land. I think that's important for a minute uh, for us to, to recognize. God did not lift the people out of Egypt and transport them right into the promised land. Right, Melody? But he could have. He God can do anything, but he has a design... And the design is for relationships with his people, a design based on him loving and being gracious and faithful, and his people responding to him with faith and responding with love. And so he's building this relationship with his people. And this whole process of bringing them out of Egypt, saving them from slavery, setting them free from Pharaoh, And bringing them out through all the hardships across the Red Sea without food without water without but he provides for them all along the way and he is revealing himself to them and he is building this relationship with them a relationship of love and trust he's loving them and providing for them and taking care of them and saying trust me so He brought them through the wilderness to the promised land and it's a great picture for all of us. God rescues us. He rescues us from sin. He rescues us from condemnation. He rescues us from the curse and he brings us to the promised land. He doesn't just all of a sudden boom. Even though he could, he's building a relationship with us based on love and trust. And so Moses reiterates, he says, take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you. This is God's design. He is the one who saves. He is the one who redeems. And then he says, and I'm giving this to you, so take it. God did not reach down and all of a sudden wipe out all the Amorites. He says, you're going to move in going to take it what i'm giving to you by faith receiving again what he is giving so the last thing is his reiteration do not fear or be distressed do not fear or be distressed instead trust me that's what god is saying the command that he gives now we don't usually i think see it that way, but God gives the command, don't fear. Don't be distressed. That was a command that he gave, and the command he gave was, therefore, to trust him. Do not fear or be distressed. Trust me. Well, Moses continues on in his recap of what took place, starting in verse 22, then all of you came near me and said let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. That was not part of God's command, if you recall. But Moses says, it seemed good to me. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like what Eve said in the garden. Hey, the tree looks good to me. Seems like a good idea. And so I took 12 men from among you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Escal, and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So here's the dilemma. God said, trust me. But the people said, we'd rather trust some spies. So let's send in some people from among us, and we'll trust their word on it. And it's a problem. They've just stepped onto the pendulum. Rather than being off the pendulum and trusting God, they have stepped onto the pendulum and said, let's send some of our own people in, and with their own eyes they can see, and with their own mouths they can come back and tell us what they found, and we'll trust them. Instead of what God has said. So the people responded by saying, send in spies. Send in spies. And Moses is like, okay. Seems like a good idea to me. But continue reading then. Verse 26. You know, Even though the spies came back and said, it's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Verse 26. Moses says, yet you would not go up even though these guys came back and said, yes, it is a good land that the Lord is giving us, they would still not go. You would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, listen to this, because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. So that's the the fill-in-the-blanks, right? The Lord hates us. The Lord is going to destroy us. That's how the people responded. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. So that's the spies' report. The first part of the report is, yeah, it's a really good land. The other half of the report is, And the people are huge, and they're going to defeat us. And so we should be afraid. We should be distressed. We should be worried, and we should not go in. That was the word that the spies gave. And Moses says that was in direct rebellion to God. And they even said, the Lord must have rescued us out of Egypt and out of slavery because he hates us. He hates us, and he has just brought us all this way to destroy us. So they refused to trust God's word and promise. This is what the pendulum looks like. They refused, and those aren't fill-in-the-blanks, I'm just telling you. They refused to trust God's word and promise. And so the last fill-in-the-blank is, they basically said, we won't go. We won't go. They refused to trust God. I mean, are you astonished by this? The people have been rescued from Egypt. God reminds them over and over again, I am the one who has saved you. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who brought you to this place, brought you and fed you and gave you water when there was nothing to drink, protected you from enemies. I have made it possible. I've led you the whole way. And now they say, he's done all this just to hurt us. He's done all this because He hates us. And so, I mean, it just seems astonishing that that would be their heart and mindset, but that's what life on the pendulum is like. We can't see, we can't by faith receive what God is doing, and so we jump on this pendulum and we say, either God doesn't really care about us, He's not answering my prayers, He's not doing what I expect Him to do, Or he's out to get me. And he's doing this because he doesn't love me. In fact, he hates me. Now, maybe those are two extreme positions on the pendulum, but that's what the pendulum looks like. That's yes, Melody. Um, I have a question, and you might um, talk about this later. But disobeying God, what was their punishment? You're exactly right. We're going to get there. Okay. (laughs) So the question, was there any consequence for their disobedience? Moses got punished. Right, and he's going to reiterate that for us here in just a minute, too. So thanks, Melody. Great segue. So we'll keep going. So again, yeah, he can anticipate where we're headed next. So they said we won't go in. Let me read those verses. Moses says, Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. But it's almost a little too late. Almost a little too late. Moses needed to say at the beginning, no, we're not sending in spies. Just like Adam needed to say, no, we're not eating from that tree. Moses, if he had led, would have said, we're going to trust God's word. And we're not sending in spies. So they said now he's got to tell them don't be afraid don't be in dread the lord your god who goes before you will himself fight for you that's an important phrase right there the lord your god himself will fight for you keep that tucked away for a minute just as he did for you in egypt right before your eyes all the plagues pharaoh says leave get out of town And in the wilderness and where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his own son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Just look at what the Lord God has done. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Again, he's just saying, look at what God has done. Look at how God has loved you. Look at all the grace you have received and the mercy that has been so abundant. Really? And now we're going to be afraid? And we're going to think God hates us and doesn't trust, and we can't trust him. So here, beware of the pendulum. Hopefully you're seeing this pendulum. Now it's going to get real exciting about what this pendulum can look like. So continue reading in verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. So this is where, is there any consequence for their decisions, for their... Their beliefs about who God is and what He's going or not going to do, and what their decisions are based on those beliefs. So the Lord heard their words, was angered, and He made an oath. He makes another promise. He, he says He and He swore, not one of these men of this evil generation—evil meaning not living by faith in Him—that's the definition of evil—to not live by faith. In Him, none of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. And one of the things the people said is, "You brought us here to kill us, and you're going to kill our children, and you're going to wipe us out." That's what the people accused God of. And so they, He said, "The land that I swore that I give to your fathers. As for your little ones, who you said would become prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of." faith or not faith they shall go in they shall be the ones. so you're you're saying you think all you and your children are going to die here in the wilderness god says no the reality is is you will that will be your consequence you will not go into the promised land but your children will and i will give it to them and they will possess it but as for you now you must turn and journey back into the wilderness back towards the Red Sea. That was the consequence, the punishment of their sin. So beware of the pendulum. The people now do not like, do not want the consequences of their rebellion. They have now heard the word of God, and because they did not trust, because they would not obey, because they would not go in and receive what God was giving them, God says, back into the wilderness, and you will die in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief. Right, yeah, that's the evil in their hearts, the unbelief. So, next, like I asked you a minute ago, when when we talked about, and it will be God himself who goes before you to fight for you. Reading again in verse 41. Oh, let, yeah, so let me let me go back. The people did not want the of rebellion. Verse 41, Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. Listen to this phrase. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. Did you see that pendulum swing? We don't like the consequences. We don't like the punishment for our rebellion. We don't like the, the, the results of our faithlessness. God has said, you're going back into the wilderness to die. And they said, oh, we ourselves will do it now. Yeah. In the beginning, it was God himself who would fight for them. Now they say, we ourselves will do it. Just like the Lord commanded us. No, that's not what he commanded. The command now is to go back into the wilderness. And he made an oath that none of these people would see the promised land. And God keeps his promises. So would that be like today's works-based religions. i oh, would be a great example of that, Leland, yes. Yeah, so... Anybody any any false religion that says I'm working my way into heaven is exactly what's taking place here. We ourselves will do it. We ourselves will get uh make our our way into heaven. We'll do it, yeah. So, in that group of people there are probably three generations. Mm, yeah, yeah, possibly. We three probably, world. yeah. So, where was the cutoff on who had to go back and who got to Well, they all had to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. Even the children. Even the, children. Okay. the cutoff was 20 years and younger would be brought back to enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Assuming they're going to be the only ones alive still? Or- well, that's what God said. Anybody over 20, that generation, would perish in the wilderness. That was his oath. So when they had died, 40 years later, God brings the people back so like the ones under 20 went out but then they got to come back yep as the next older generation with their children okay okay and he's kind of saying you know you better get it right this time (laughs) in his mercy he is saying and we'll do this again in his mercy we'll do it again and i and he and god is saying and you can trust me you can trust my word i keep my word and my vows and I will prov- he provided for this whole group. He continued feeding them manna and providing water for them and guiding them by the pillars of cloud and fire. He was still with them through the whole process as that generation died off, waiting for the children to grow up and be the next generation. Now, I don't know. I can speculate. And that's all I'm doing at this moment is speculating. But what I know about God and his faithfulness and his mercy As you just brought up for us, Melody, if he had brought that next generation back to the promised land and they rebelled again, he would have gone back out in the wilderness with them again for the next generation because his mercies are never-ending. So how long were they out in the wilderness? Forty years. Mm Forty? Wasn't it 40 years before? No, it didn't take 40 years for them to get to the promised land the first time. But then they went back and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for that generation to die. That's 80 years. No, it wasn't 40 years the first time. From the time they were brought out of Egypt until the Mount Sinai, when they received the Ten Commandments and made their way through the wilderness, it was a pretty direct process. Got to the Promised Land. Wasn't. And I'm gonna. I'm trying to remember. I think it was a couple years. Yeah. I'd have to go back and I'd have to go back and check my you know facts on that one, but I think it was a couple years in the original journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. When they rebelled, which is what Moses is recapping for us, then they were sent back out and led back out into the wilderness for 40 years. And so it was after that 40 years that Moses led them back. No, Moses died. Moses died. It was Aaron. It Joseph no, I'm sorry, Joshua. Joshua. I get my J's confused once in a while. Joshua and Caleb. Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. But Moses didn't see the promised land. Did he see the promised land God took him up on the mountain and let him look into it. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Leland? So would Joshua have been less than 20 when he was a spy? Actually, the, the indication is that he was over 20, but he and Caleb were spared. Because Because they were the two spies of the 12 that were saying, we need to trust the Lord and we need to go in now. And so God, in his faithfulness, honored them and said, those two trusted me, they get to go into the promised land. Fred? Uh, years down the road, many years down the road. Yeah, I mean, we're talking all the way through the book of Judges and all those scenarios. But yeah, so you are jumping ahead a little bit. And, and we could look at it, and actually the book of Judges, if you want to read about and see pendulum swings, it is one pendulum swing after another throughout the book of Judges. The key line in the book of Judges is, and they did that which was right in their own eyes. They were on the pendulum, they didn't trust God, they did whatever they wanted to do, they did their own will, and then God would send in another nation, another people group to to correct them and rebuke them. Then they would cry out to God and say, God, save us. And then they would say, we'll obey God, we'll do whatever He says. And then after God saves them, they swing back over to this side and they say, we're going to do whatever we want to do and we'll do what's right in our own eyes. And then God sends another nation in to rebuke them and correct them. They swing back over to this side and say, okay, we'll obey the Lord this time. And back and forth. That's the whole book of Judges in a nutshell. But yeah, that's a little bit ahead of us, Fred. So back to this one where Moses is giving the recap They say, we ourselves will go up and fight. If you're still filling in blanks, we ourselves will go up and fight. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, we don't like this. Let's go and do it now. We'll we'll do what God wants us to do now. And we'll even say, because God, that's what you told us to do. So we're going to obey now. But it's still in their own effort, their own works. We ourselves will do it. They didn't first want to risk going in, and now they don't want to risk staying in the wilderness. And so it's not faith in either scenario. Do you blame them? I mean, they were out there forever. Absolutely, absolutely, I blame them. (laughs) Because God did. God said that you're wrong for not trusting me, and this is the consequence of not trusting me. You want to live on the pendulum? You get to live on the pendulum. Yeah. And either way, they didn't want to go in because of fear, and then they didn't want to stay in the wilderness because of fear. Either end of that pendulum swing was dominated by fear. Melody, were you going to ask something? No, oh. but didn't the people live to be really old, like three, four hundred Not at this time that's way beyond after Noah's flood the lifespan shortened to yeah so they didn't believe any more now than they did before it wasn't a, you know they were not living by faith when they refused to go in and they're not living by faith now either they're not trusting God at his word God said, you will go back into the wilderness. I'm making a promise to you that none of you will see the promised land. It will be your children who go into the promised land. And they said, we don't believe you, God. And so we're going to go take it for ourselves. But let me continue reading. Where did I leave off? Okay. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. Which wasn't a true confession, just by the way. Wasn't, they weren't truly seeking God's forgiveness in that. So then they said, we ourselves will go up and fight because that's just another additional sin, as I hope I just pointed out. It was still fear motivated. It was still trusting in themselves. Just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on your weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. What are these? people first they say these people are huge and we're gonna get beat and now they said oh this is gonna be easy let's just grab our shields and swords and go and the Lord said to me tell them do not go up do not fight for I am not with you I am not in your midst you will be defeated before your enemies so I spoke to you but you would not listen You rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. I I don't know how that affects you, but it breaks my heart. But Moses said repeatedly, You did not trust God, and because you did not trust God, you're on this pendulum, and you rebel, and you do your own thing, and you say, we're not going in. Now we're going to go in. We wouldn't go in when the Lord was going to fight for us, but now we're going to fight for ourselves. Now we get beat, and now we're upset with God. He's disappointed us. And so they just ride this pendulum back and forth. They took matters into their own hands, even against the counsel of God, even against his promise. He says, don't go. Don't do it, because I won't be with you, and you will get destroyed. And what a picture, right? Chased as if by bees, swarm of bees, and beaten. So God says, life on the pendulum. That's what that looks like. The people are an example for us of what fear-based decision looks like, trusting ourselves, our own will, our own abilities, what that looks like. It's a pendulum. And it's, I'm just going to tell you right now, it results in death. This thing that we're talking about here that is so prevalent to us in our lives, it's, it's all about death. And so that's what I hope, I mean, as I continue you know, working through this study, I find myself sometimes sitting at my desk just almost overwhelmed. Like I just said, I mean, as I read from Deuteronomy, my heart was broken for the people at what they were doing. And then my heart is breaking for us because we do the same thing. But that's in Deuteronomy. How about Peter for a minute? Any comments, questions for me on that? Anything you'd like me to clarify? Oh, they were defeated and beat down. Thanks, Lucille. They were defeated and beat down, just as God promised, exactly as God promised. So Peter is an easy one to look at as far as the pendulum in the Gospels. It seems like he's swinging back and forth all the time. And so I just picked out three different scenarios that are quite obvious, and I think it'll make it plain for us to see how Peter is this example. Interesting note, if you compare what Peter did and said as recorded in the Gospels, and then look at what he writes in his letters, in the Gospels, Peter's on the pendulum swing all the time. But in his letters, you can see that He has responded to God's love and grace, mercy and forgiveness and is living off the pendulum. And it's a pretty fun experience to read and see both of those examples. But let's look at Peter on the pendulum for a minute. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and following, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. This is after he has fed the thousands of people. He went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, "'It's a ghost!' And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "'Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid.' Here comes the first pendulum swing. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So first they're crying out in fear, and Peter's one of them and saying, it must be a ghost. We're afraid. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, it's me. And Peter swings on that pendulum and says, oh, if it's really you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Yeah, prove it. I mean, really? First we're afraid of dying because of the storm and it's the middle of the night and now we've got a ghost walking to us on the water and all of a sudden Peter's saying, tell me to get out of the boat. I want to walk on the water like you are. What a pendulum swing. But it doesn't stop there. So Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. and Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's some important things for us to notice here about the pendulum. Of course, first it's, Peter says, I'm going to be bold. What, I don't get the sense that Peter is responding in faith. He's just swung on the pendulum from being afraid to now I'm going to be bold. If it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. It's really about him that's a key indicator of a pendulum is that it's about the individual and so Peter says I want to walk on the water too so I'll be bold tell me to get out of the boat but then it says as he's walking to Jesus he's looking around and he's seeing you know the wind is still blowing the waves are still raging he and he's afraid he's terrified what am I doing I'm walking on the water (laughs) and he sinks. Pendulum swing. First, it's I'm going to be bold. Then it's back to I'm afraid. Either way, it really isn't about faith in Jesus at that moment. As was pointed out already, he said to Jesus, prove it. Prove it to me by telling me to get out of the boat. So he swings back and forth. But what I wanted you to notice is the moment Peter is off the pendulum is when he cries out, save me. He is off the pendulum at that moment. His faith is in Jesus. He cries out, save me. And then Jesus reaches out, pulls him up. They're in the boat together. So that's life off the pendulum. Yeah, friend. Yeah, Peter, it's kind of a bad rap because he's the only one who got out of the boat. He had enough faith to get out of the boat, even if he doubted shortly thereafter. Yeah, and, you know, we could certainly, the other disciples didn't get out of the boat. Sure, yeah, Peter gives us this opportunity. Yeah. How about John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the, the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples and wiped them with the towel. Right there, that's a great statement about Jesus, we know that Jesus never on the pendulum. The pendulum is reserved for broken sinners. Jesus never lived life on the pendulum. Important thing to keep in mind. And what does it say about him? He says, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper to do this thing. That's an important aspect of life off the pendulum is You know who you are in Christ. You know where you came from. You know where you're going. And it's all by faith. So Jesus knew these things. Those are key indicators of life off the pendulum. But as he's washing the disciples' feet, he came to Peter who said to him, Lord, do you intend to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Cut off. Wow, here comes the swing. Peter said, then, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Whew. You're not going to wash my feet. Oh, on, second thought. wash all of me. So it's a pendulum swing. And what were the emotions that Peter was experiencing that moment when Jesus says, "If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me." Well, I'm, I think it's fear, the fear of getting cut off, of excluded. Jesus just said, "If I don't wash you, we're done." Oh, I don't want to be, no, not that. So instead, wash all of me. What does Jesus say? Um, Where was I? Oh, but Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And Peter, you are clean, but not every one of you. So he says, Peter, I have cleansed you. And this is an important piece of what I'm doing for you and teaching you, trust me. Trust me. Don't rebel against me. I think is what Jesus is saying. When Peter says, you're not touching my feet. I don't think it had anything to do with being ticklish. I think what Peter was doing was making a statement, no, that's too that's too vulnerable. I'm I don't I can't be that vulnerable with even you, Jesus. Oh, but if I'm gonna be cut off, then then everything. But Jesus says, You're clean. You're clean. I have cleansed you. You are forgiven, but you keep sinning, and so I'm going to keep washing and trust. So what's the significance, and everybody probably knows this to me, um, of washing the feet? Why is that so important? So culturally, <laughs> sandals, barefooted, right? Your feet are filthy. They're filthy. Yeah. So even if you have bathed, by the time you get from one place to the other, filthy feet. And so you would come into the home, and there was a slave, a servant, that would wash everybody's feet as they came in. You know, we just kick our boots off on the boot mat when we walk in. But in that culture, you washed, and boy, it is a very um, a vulnerable, intimate moment. I mean, think about when Jesus is in Simon's house, the Pharisee, and he's sitting at the table, and the woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. It was, that was a big deal. And so having your feet washed was part of the cultural experience. For Jesus, the master of the, the teacher, to do it was an incredibly humbling. So he humbled himself, which we know all along. He humbled himself and came from heaven to save us. He humbled himself by dying on the cross. He humbled himself to save us. So did Peter not think he was worthy of having his feet washed or... I'm just trying to figure out... No, I get where you're going. I I don't know that it was uh, worthy. I think for Peter it was fear. I think sometimes he would disguise it as, you know, Mm -hmm. oh Lord, you shouldn't do this. I mean, you're the teacher. You're the master. You shouldn't be washing my feet. But I think what Peter has revealed to us in other places, and again, in this context, it's don't touch me. You'll... I'm the one who's not worthy to be touched. I mean, you're the master. You shouldn't be touching, you know, touching my feet. Does that help? Yes. So again, I think for Peter it was a fear thing and a vulnerable thing. And I don't want to be that vulnerable even with Jesus. Somebody else. Okay. So let's look at this one then. John chapter 13, just a little bit later, Peter again is going to give us this example of how you say one thing but do another, that's common, pendulum speak, say one thing and do another. So you're familiar with these verses. It's chapter 13, verses 36 and following. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Jesus is headed to the cross. That's why I can't follow him now. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you, Jesus. But Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Peter is saying, I'll die for you, Lord. I am loyal. I am in this with you. I will follow you wherever. Just tell me where you're going. I'll go with you. But as you just heard Jesus prophesy, and now in chapter 18, verses 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So this might be a different kind of pendulum it might look like loyalty. You know, Peter says I will be loyal. I will be loyal. I will go with you anywhere you go. I will die for you. And before the night is over, he denies him three times. I don't even know that man. I don't pendulum swing. And again largely fear based. And pride, in the beginning, it was, I will do this, Lord. I will be the only one who goes with you. I will be the only one. Even if everybody else runs, I'll die for you. I'll cut off somebody's ear for you. And then within 12 hours, within 12 hours, he says, I don't know him. I'll even call down curses from heaven to try and prove to you that I don't know that guy. So what a pendulum swing. So those are some things to think about with regards to the pendulum. As I mentioned already, the pendulum is deadly. And I don't mean to sound melodramatic. I think what the scriptures teach us is that life on the pendulum is a death sentence. It could show up in any number of ways. I think for the believer one of the things that is still relevant for us cuz while, you know, we by faith are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But there are still plenty of other ways we can live on pendulums in this life. And sometimes they result in the death of, I mean, we just wither. We wither under that. Or relationships die because of that. There's still other ways that death is is prevalent and So let's look at that. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4 for a few moments and just to see how life on the pendulum gets passed on from one generation to the next. Genesis chapter 4, this is the story of Cain and Abel, a couple of Adam and Eve's sons. We don't know where they are in the birth order. The scriptures don't answer that question for us. Some people seem to believe that it must be the firstborn and secondborn. We don't know that, the scriptures don't tell us. We don't know exactly how old they are. There's a lot of things we don't know about Cain and Abel. But what we do know is that they were living life on, the, at least Cain was living life on the pendulum. So let's look at it. Now Adam knew his wife, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Right there is a distinction between what Abel brought and what Cain brought. We'll look at that again in a minute, but I wanted to make you aware of that. And the Lord had regard. He received, he accepted Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He rejected it. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell the Lord said to Cain why are you so angry and why has your face fallen if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it so what is God saying by doing well well it's the first thing we have here Cain's offering was unacceptable one because it was not firstfruits it was not first fruits. The difference that we see between Abel and Cain is that Abel brought the first fruits. He brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. He brought the best as his offering to God. The contrast is Cain just brought something, brought some fruit of the ground. It wasn't first fruits and the second one, it was not by faith. So when when God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's exactly what he's referring to is if you come in faith, if you trust. I think what Cain was doing is, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to offer something. I'll give something from the, the crop. But it wasn't given in faith. It wasn't given in trusting the Lord. And so I think what God is saying is, if you trust me, then you will be accepted. But if you do not trust me, sin is crouching at the door, seeking to overwhelm you. If that isn't a relevant statement uh, for all. So then, what's the pendulum for Cain? I believe Cain's pendulum is acceptance. He disobeyed the law of God. That's on the left-hand side of the pendulum. He disobeyed the law of God. He did what was pleasing to himself instead of what would be pleasing to God. And then he disliked the penalties which we have just talked about. People dislike the penalties for their choices and actions and behaviors. In fact, he says this isn't fair. He grumbled against God. He says, "Why did you accept Abel's and not mine?" On the other side of the pendulum, we discover that he was very angry. And in his anger, he sought revenge. Now, back on the left-hand side of the pendulum, listen to these phrases. It's going to sound just like his parents. It looks good to me. My offering of the fruit from the ground, it looks good to me, so it should look good to God too. It's good enough for me, so it should be good enough for God. I think his statement to God is, just accept it. It's what I'm giving to you. Just be be okay with that. So then we swing back over to the right. Again, we're going to see this generational passing on from parent to child. Now he's ashamed and afraid. Cain is ashamed and afraid. His countenance is downcast. And he's afraid. And what's, what did Eve and Adam say when God confronted them? He said, you, you know, you did this to me. And that's exactly what Cain says. You did this to me. God, you didn't accept my offering. You did this to me. Abel, you just caused me all kinds of grief. You're the, the you know, bratty younger brother who always gets his way. You did this to me. It's your fault. Generational sin passed on from one generation to the next. They just echo what their parents said. Maybe even take it a step further. And so we see that Cain's pendulum was about acceptance, but it was, accept me the way I am, for who I am, and just whatever I'm willing to do. And then when it's not accepted, when he's not accepted... It's your fault, it's his fault, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to seek revenge. And he kills his brother. He blames his brother for his failure. That next little bit there is about uh, an opportunity for you to now explore maybe a pendulum that you might be on. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. But what I'm going to encourage you to do is answer some of these questions It might help reveal what some of the pendulums are that you uh, live with, and the mindset and the belief system that you have adopted. So when do you feel, that's the first question, when do you feel things like, or emotions like, fear, anger, anxiety, sadness? When do you feel those emotions? And what's the cause of that feeling? Now, a little side note, emotions in themselves are not evil, and emotions do not always expose a pendulum. For example, I said Jesus is never on a pendulum, yet he experienced sadness and grief and anger. So emotions in themselves are not evil. But for our purpose, many times they can expose something for us. When we can take a few moments and be vulnerable, and say, Jesus, wash my feet. Expose what is in me. Psalm 139, the author says, Search my heart, O God, and reveal to me the wickedness that's in me. So ask God to reveal what your pendulums might look like, what they might be. And looking at some of those emotions that you experience and the cause of those emotions might help. Just like with Cain, he was angry. And if he had looked at what was causing that emotion, he might have been able to see I'm on this pendulum, and it's dictating what I do next. What is your common reaction when you are feeling that way, when you are feeling angry or fearful, worried? So then you might be able to explore what your pendulum is and where you might be on it. And then how did you get there? How did you get there? Just as I pointed out, Cain and Abel, Cain especially, was on his pendulum because he had been passed down to him from his parents. His family of origin, they were on pendulum. And so they passed that on to Cain, their son. Sometimes we are on pendulums because of our family of origin. Sometimes it's because of life experiences. Sometimes it's because of relationships we've been in or are currently in. So this is just an exercise for you to do in the context of, I think, you know, praying and saying, Jesus, reveal to me what you would like to set me free from. And so, for example, I'm going to give you this last one. The Pendulum of Insecurity is down at the bottom. just going to walk through briefly what this might look like, an exercise uh, example. So, the Pendulum of Insecurity. What are some feelings associated with this Pendulum? The Pendulum of Insecurity, I've listed a few of them. You might be able to think of others. Of course, fear is at the top of the list. Insecurity and fear seem to go hand in hand. I think some others would be disappointment, disappointment, or embarrassed, embarrassed or shame. They can sometimes fall into that same category. Maybe lonely, loneliness or anxiousness, worry even despair. Those I think are some feelings that could be in conjunction with the pendulum of insecurity. So what's the cause of those feelings? Well maybe in the past it come from rejection. Repeated rejection will certainly breed some of these emotions of fear, loneliness, worry, and maybe insecurities. Maybe broken trust. If you have put your trust in people and they've broken it, that could lead to some insecurities. Maybe feeling unloved or unwanted, uncertain of your own worth or value. Well, then those would feed, right? Those are the cause of some of those feelings we already mentioned. And what are some common reactions to this pendulum? called insecurity, I think on one end of the, the pendulum swing, it would be things like this. Becoming critical of others. That's a natural knee-jerk defensive reaction to insecurity. Is I'm going to criticize you before you can criticize me. So being critical of others. Or maybe being overly confident in myself. Just like the people in Deuteronomy, we ourselves are going to win this battle. So, overly confident. What shows up on this side of the pendulum swing is often perfectionism. Have to be perfect, and other people have to be perfect too. Otherwise, disappointment, right? They will struggle to trust others, their word, their promise, and they will struggle to trust people because they are certain they just won't get it right. And so therefore they remind others of their personal skills and training and abilities and accomplishments. It's like you're getting a resume all the time. So the key word on that side of the pendulum would be control. Control. The behavior that they use... To deal with insecurity would be to try and control circumstances, people. They want to control it. And that's how they try to mitigate those emotions. On the other swing of the pendulum, then, the word is, I'll give you right away, the word is quit. So on one end of the, the pendulum swing, it was control. On the other end of the pendulum swing, it's quit because of feelings of inadequacy feeling unworthy, unable to cope with life stressors. They are anxious about relationships and situations, so they just pull back. In fact, their desire is to be alone. Now, they might be feeling lonely because of the insecurities, but, boy, it's better to be feeling lonely and alone, so... They seek to be alone. They struggle to build relationships on mutual trust because they're always quitting, withdrawing, pulling back. Now, these are two extremes of the pendulum swing of insecurity. But I think it's a very prevalent one. I think it's something that probably almost all human beings deal with in some way or another. And how... Did you come to be at your place on the pendulum? So take a look at your history. How did you get there? Which end of the continuum of that pendulum swing do you find yourself on? Are you trying to control things and people and circumstances? Are you avoiding? And Actually, both sides of the pendulum are about avoidance. Fear and avoidance. That's when you talk to the Lord. Amen. Amen, sister. Talk to the Lord. So hopefully that helps, again, just with being able to identify what pendulums look like and how you might be able to identify some of the pendulums in your own life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love that never ceases and never fails. And you are kind and you are patient. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to receive your unconditional love and the bounty of it. Father, I do pray for all of us that you would wash our feet, that you would expose to us where we are not trusting you in our lives, and that you would redeem those moments as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.